Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He or purses his lips brings evil to pass. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Gene. I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic, and I want to welcome you uh, on this Memorial Day to our Sunday afternoon worship service. Uh, we've come now to our final sermon in our Faith and Work sermon series. And so far, the responses to this series have been really encouraging. And I think what that means is we'll probably, in all likelihood, regularly return to this sermon series in the future because it's, it's really important, uh, especially in a city like New York. But I want to wrap up today by kind of zooming out and looking at the big picture the why. I want to look at what the Bible says a Christian's ambition should look like. Because we live in a world that prizes ambition, don't we? As a child, we, 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 we've grown up hearing things like, be great. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do anything you set your mind to. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you can't do something. Dream big. Follow your dreams. Do anything except be ordinary. The ordinary, it's something that we have to escape from. So as a child, I, I still remember seeing Luke Skywalker stuck on his home planet of Tatooine, gazing out at the galaxy. I must be destined for something more than this. You have little orphan Harry Potter at Four Privet Drive, living in a cupboard under the stairs in the Dursley home. There must be more to life than what Uncle Vernon on Petunia and Dudley represent. Do you remember when you, what you felt the first time you read Hagrid saying to Harry, you're a wizard, Harry. The most popular movie in the world right now, uh, this year, has been Encanto. And the whole movie, it really delves into this tension between the ordinary and the extraordinary. And I think it does a really good job of it. But the operating principle in all of these examples is that worldly ambition is an advancement of self. Self. Sure, there's a hero component, right, where the hero rescues others, but we don't raise our kids and tell them, be like Chewbacca or Ron Weasley or Samwise Gamgee. Ultimately, when we aspire to greatness, we are seeking to elevate ourselves toward a certain goal. 
So the path to worldly ambition, it's, it's two things. Dream big. Do not give up until all of your dreams come true. That's worldly ambition. Whatever you think about Donald Trump, we can all agree that he is the embodiment, the avatar of worldly ambition in his pursuit of wealth, power, and self-advancement. Here's what he says about ambition in his book, The Art of the Deal. Get going. Move forward. Aim high. Plan a takeoff. Don't just sit on the runway and hope someone will come along and push the airplane. It simply won't happen. Change your attitude and gain some altitude. Believe me, you'll love it up here. Dream big. Don't settle for less. And I think this translates to our work in many ways. Our ambitions for work, they involve often advancing the self. And that's ultimately why you need to become a partner or an attending physician or a tenured professor. You know, the American dream, it used to be steady income, suburban home, white picket fence, two-car garage, two-and-a-half well-behaved kids. Now, the American dream, it's, it's taking your startup public or selling it to Google for a billion dollars. Or it's becoming a famous influencer with millions of followers and views. It's becoming an NFT billionaire. So if, if that's kind of what worldly ambition is driving toward, what is the nature of a Christian's ambition? Is it different? Well, yes, because just like everything else, the fall corrupted our desires and ambitions. You know, when Eve was tempted in the garden, the serpent came to her and said, if you eat of this fruit, you will become like God. You will become like God. And he planted that in her head. And then all of a sudden, she looked around, and the Garden of Eden, paradise itself, it started to look ordinary. She wanted more. She needed more. She wanted to be like God. And because of this new ambition, she looked, she took, and she ate. And ever since then, our ambitions have been distorted, fallen. Becoming a Christian, it's not just adding to your life some new beliefs, some new principles, some new habits. It's a death and a rebirth. It, it, it's not new operating principles. It's, a, it's an entirely new operating system. The Christian's entire worldview is going to look different than that of a non-Christian, and this includes his or her ambitions. Christian ambition, it's going to look dramatically different than that of worldly ambition. And according to the Bible, it's different in three ways. So today what I want to do is I want to look at various passages throughout the Bible, and I want to talk about ambition, and I want to show that, that these verses show Christian ambition to be wise. A Christian's ambition is ordinary, and a Christian's ambition is eternal. So those three things, wise, ordinary, and eternal. First, a Christian's ambition is wise. 
Remember, we said that worldly ambition, it seeks and serves one's self-advancement. Christian ambition is characterized by a pursuit of wisdom rather than self-promotion. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. Here, the aspirations of a fool are at the ends of the earth, what he or she will find there. The fool's dreams are far-reaching to the ends of the earth. The world would applaud this person's vision, this person's drive, this person's tenacity. This person is thinking big and working tirelessly to get to the ends of the earth. I think many of us, collectively, we've experienced something like this in the past year. The cryptocurrency, meme stock, NFT waves were in many ways like the gold rush in San Francisco in 1849. Everyone flooded into San Francisco hoping to get rich. But at the end, only a few people at the very top got rich. And a whole lot of people got burned. I remember over a year ago, my good friend, who's really savvy with the crypto stuff, he bought me like $100 worth of Dogecoin super early. And I watched as it climbed from, you know, fractions of a cent all the way up to 60 cents. And I thought, like many of you, we're going to the moon. I'm going to be rich, I'm going to quit my job, and travel the world on my private jet. I was a fool. Guess what? I'm still here. (laughs) How many of us also jumped in on that? We lost our minds buying Bitcoin, Ethereum, GameStop, AMC, and NFTs, looking to the moon, to the ends of the earth. But the discerning sets his face toward wisdom. And wisdom, as Pastor Aaron said last week, it's the ability to skillfully navigate through life, living faithfully to love God and love neighbor. If the source of wisdom is God, then he is where the discerning must set his face. You know, the most successful king in Israelite history The author of much of the wisdom literature in the Bible is King Solomon. Solomon's father, David, and we spent an entire sermon series on 1 Samuel talking about David. Remember, he was adored by his people. He was a man after God's own heart. He famously defeated the giant Goliath. He had countless other victories in battle. It must have seemed impossible for Solomon to follow and act like David. But Solomon actually becomes the most prosperous and famous king in Israel's history. He does what his father wanted to do but never could. He builds the temple of God. Solomon, he reached heights in his life that few in history have ever seen. But his ambition, it wasn't characteristic of worldly ambition. You see, Solomon didn't dream big. He didn't work hard to achieve his dreams. Rather, God came to him in a dream, and God said, Solomon, what do you want, buddy? And Solomon asked for one thing. 
he asked for wisdom. He set his face toward wisdom, not the ends of the earth. And as a reward, God also gave him what Solomon never asked for. Riches, honor, long life. Proverbs 20, verse 29 says this, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Young men seek to find their glory in their own strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair, which represents wisdom. The world idolizes strength. We want strong leaders, strong men, strong women, We want to be better than everybody else. We want to be the greatest. But wisdom is where the real glory is. So here's the question. How do we get it? Will God appear to all of us in a dream, just like he did with Solomon? Probably not. We're told in Proverbs 16.30 that gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. It's interesting that worldly ambition and Christian ambition both seek a crown of glory, but Christian ambition seeks it in wisdom, while worldly ambition looks to the ends of the earth. But wisdom's not at the ends of the earth. It's here. It's now. It's living a righteous life. It's being faithful. It's not up in the skies. It's not to the moon. It's down to earth. Christian ambition, then, in many ways, is very, very ordinary. Ordinary. And I think this is one thing that my parents' generation missed. Many of us here are children of immigrants. Many of our parents were often small business owners who scrapped and saved and worked endless hours to make ends meet. My parents, they they really struggled financially, but every cent they had went into my education. SAT prep, private lessons. The idea was this. If my kids get a good education, then they can get a good job that will provide security, status, and respect, and they won't have to live the difficult life that I'm living right now. So our parents sacrificed everything for that ambition. But at what cost? My generation is also known as the latchkey generation. We were often functional orphans because our parents were too busy to be around. What we needed more than private lessons and extra tutoring was their presence and their wisdom. I can't tell you how many people I counsel as a pastor now who are very, very successful professionally, but they are really struggling through life right now. Why? Because they don't have wisdom. When my oldest son, Andy, was born, I told my wife that I didn't want Andy to be great. He just needed to be good. Good, not great. I know that sounds horrible. Don't tell my parents I said that. If he can grow up to be honest, if he can be kind to others, 
if he could be faithful, if he could be hardworking, if he could be wise, then I don't care if he's making sandwiches at Subway. I would much rather that than he be a crypto billionaire who lacks biblical wisdom. And I really mean that. And I think for me, personally, professionally, in seminary, I used to dream of pastoring a megachurch, writing books, speaking at huge conferences. But now, I just want to be faithful. I want to finish well wherever God places me. You know, I, I get asked sometimes by my friends and by some of you even, uh, if my ambition is ever to become a senior pastor. And I, I look at them and I say, are you crazy? Do you know how hard Aaron's life is? <laughs> do you know how much work he has to do? But in all seriousness, if I'm doing what I'm doing right now, 30 years from now, I'll be thrilled that I served the Lord faithfully for that long where he placed me. I want an ordinary, sustainable, and faithful relationship with God. And that's what he wants from all of us, from all of you. He doesn't want your gifts, your abilities, your money, your service. God wants your faithfulness. We're not called to think big. Our priority is to think quietly, deeply, richly in relationship with God. Look at Psalm 131. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. This psalm, it describes the life that we are to pursue. More than hearts lifted up in these emotional highs, more than our eyes raised too high in personal ambition, more than occupying ourselves with great and marvelous deeds for God's kingdom, we should aspire to calming, quieting our souls, finding absolute contentment and rest in the arms of God, who's closer to us than even a mother with her baby. The picture of Christian ambition, it's not mountaintops, it's not earth-shattering events, so much as a baby, perfectly content in the bosom of the Lord. Is there anything in life better than that? In a world of violence, death, endless mass shootings, racism, disease, pain, abuse, and sorrow, we are perfectly calm, quiet, safe in our God. And this is available to us 24-7. This is what faithful, righteous living is all about. A Christian's ambition is very, very ordinary. And it's so good. Look at Proverbs 24. My son, eat honey 
for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul if you find it. There will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Wisdom is like sweet, dripping honey for our souls. And in Proverbs 24, wisdom comes with a promise. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. There will be a future and a hope that will not be cut off. What is that future and that hope? While a Christian's ambition is seemingly more ordinary than worldly ambition, what we see is that it is far more glorious than worldly ambition could ever be. We talked about King Solomon before, the son of David. Well, there was another who was also called the son of David, who is in fact the son of a far greater king, God the Father himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God Almighty. This son, he didn't seek wisdom so much as he embodied wisdom. He personified wisdom. And while he had far more glory and honor than Solomon could ever dream of, he set it aside and became a servant. He didn't build the temple like Solomon did, but he himself was the temple of God. And he lived the perfect life of righteousness. But he also died the death of a wretched sinner. Jesus Christ, he lived the life that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I should have died. It is in him that we have a future and a hope that will not be cut off because he was cut off for us. This is our future and our hope. You know, we're, we're wired to look for our future and our hope in the here and now. Rather than waiting for the world to come. I think one thing our current world does better than any civilization in all of history, it's this, the ability to mask death. Even with the internet and these endless stories and exposure of death, it's never been easier for someone to not think of death. In ancient civilizations, life expectancy was my age now. It's hard to not think about death, if that's the case. When a disease could wipe out your entire village, or neighboring invaders would sack your city at any moment, you were constantly aware of death. But even in our pandemic-riddled world, even with war in Ukraine, even these past two weeks, a staggering amount of gun violence, it's so easy for us to just scroll past death and to not think about it. Friends, can I recommend that we don't waste these reminders of death? Because death has a funny way of reshaping, reorienting our ambitions. Suddenly, the VP title or the number of subscribers doesn't mean as much if death is a present reality. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures, in heaven, uh, treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's funny that Jesus doesn't say, just live a good life because that's the right thing to do. He talks about reward and treasure. He says, do it for a treasure. Do it for a reward. Now, what does that reward look like? What does heavenly treasure look like? Is it a bigger house in heaven? Right? So the better your life is here on earth, the more bedrooms and square footage your mansion in heaven is. Is, is heavenly reward some kind of heavenly currency, Ethereum Infinity.0? Jesus, he tells us these verse, in these verses to expand our ambitions beyond the here and now. Christian ambition, it should have an eternal perspective. So what is it? How do we invest in our heavenly fund? The illustration I like to give, and I apologize to the people in my community groups because you've heard it a million times already. It's the parable of twin brothers who go off to college. One brother, he lives the college life. He makes friends, he dates, he joins clubs, he pledges, he never calls home once. The other brother cries every day. He spends every day thinking about home. He calls home every day. He misses home. He misses his bed. He misses his mom's cooking. He misses the dog. All he thinks about all day long is going home. Both brothers come home for Christmas break. Same home. Same mom. Same dog. Same cooking. Same beds. Completely different experience of it. For one brother, his ambitions, they didn't extend beyond his college campus. So when he gets home, pretty good. I like it. But for the other brother, who all he's been thinking about is home, when he gets home, it's a completely different experience. of it. His treasure is there. And that's a question for us, too. What will our experience be We sang, mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk. When you are walking alongside King Jesus, face to face, talking with him, loving him, how good will it be for you? Friends, death is a reality that we can't avoid This world, as we know it, it will pass away, but our eternal home awaits us. Will your ambitions in this life be to the ends of this earth? Or will it look beyond this earth to an eternal reality that awaits? NBA playoffs are in full swing, which means my team has already been eliminated. But I know there are a lot of Knicks fans in here, and you guys didn't even make the playoffs, so. I don't know what this feels like, but it must be amazing to win an NBA championship. Ecstasy, jubilation, bliss, triumph. And that's just as a fan. Now imagine that you're on the team that wins the NBA championship. 
Imagine the sense of accomplishment, the thrill of victory. I know it doesn't feel like it when we look at our worlds today. But the Bible tells us that we are on a winning team. I know we look around and we see injustice everywhere. It doesn't seem like God's winning. It seems like he's losing a lot of the time. But the Bible promises us that we are on the winning team, not of one championship, but the winner of all eternity. The enemies, sin, death, Satan, decisively defeated once and for all by our team captain and superstar Jesus Christ. And we, though we were once enemies, were brought into the team. We're part of the team. But not only that, we are seated with Christ at the victory parade, at the banquet. And we will celebrate with him for all eternity. I ask you, what is more glorious than that? Does any earthly ambition compare to that? Is there anything in this life or in any life that you can aspire to that is greater than that reality that compares to that truth? In Christ, we have success Riches, eternal life, satisfaction beyond compare. And we have it forever. It's waiting for us. But until that day comes, here's what your ambition should be. 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your ambition to live quietly. To mind your own affairs. To work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul is saying we should aspire to living quietly, diligently, faithfully, at peace in the wisdom of God, awaiting the future and the hope that can never be cut off. We live, we work, we follow Christ. Today, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m., throughout this week, through this life, let us make Jesus Christ our ambition. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you we have a future and a hope that cannot be cut off. Help us to center our ambition upon you. Grant us your wisdom so that we will have a true understanding of why we are living in this earth and help us to look forward to the eternal reality that awaits us. Give us the right ambition. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.